Welcome to Music History Monday for May 10th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is The Riot at the Astor Place Opera House. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the deadly riot on May 10th, 1849, 172 years ago today, that took place at the Astor Place Opera House in New York City. Between 22 and 31 people were killed and many hundreds more injured in a riot that pitted immigrants and members of the working class against the wealthy elite who controlled the city's police and militia. Gala openings, class war, and opera and theater in the United States. We've all seen pictures of the things. I imagine some of us have even attended them. Opera galas in San Francisco, where the San Francisco Opera is second only to the Metropolitan Opera in terms of its budget, and number of performances, the season opening opera gala is the major social event for those fine people who do major social events. Tickets for the gala cost a small fortune. For the men, black tie is divagur. For the women, off-the-shoulder gowns, freshly quaffed hair, and tons of jewelry are but of course. As best as I can tell, the social point of the gala is to be perceived as a member of the exclusive club that is high society, to be seen and to be photographed, looking chic, happy, thin, and rich. Drink and dinner are served, though for the women strapped into their gowns, food is likely the last thing on their minds. As for the actual opera performance that takes place at the conclusion of the evening, it is, in fact, entirely incidental to the hoopla. For this one evening a year, those in attendance can pretend that they have something in common with 17th and 18th century French, English, and Russian nobility who attended the opera as a necessary social exercise, a symbol of their sophistication and elevation above the rabble. I show my lower middle class, proletarian, anti-ruling class roots by being outwardly disgusted by the whole display, though admittedly just a bit irked that I've never been invited. Nevertheless, were I to be invited, I would not go. Displays such as these always make me extremely uncomfortable. Now please, don't get me wrong. I know these events are traditional, I'm aware that they are big fundraisers and that perhaps some of the attendees might actually enjoy them. But these galas are dinosaurs. They promulgate a stereotypically elitist image that can only, in the end, contribute to the depths of these institutions. The Astor Place Opera House. From its beginnings, in the private theaters in the palaces of Florence's wealthiest citizens. A certain bouquet of snobbery 
has always wafted about opera. Certainly, it was snobbery that gave impetus to the construction of the Astor Place Opera House. It opened on November 22, 1847, with a performance of Giuseppe Verdi's Ernani. It was located on Lafayette Street in Manhattan, between East 8th Street and Astor Place, a block from Broadway in a neighborhood now known as the East Village. Conceived by the impresario Edward Fry, who managed the Opera House during its entire, albeit brief, history, it was designed by the famed Massachusetts-born architect Isaiah Rogers, 1800 to 1869. Rogers's design tells us pretty much all we need to know about Edward Fry's conception for his opera theater. It looked like a Greek temple, and that's exactly what Fry wanted, a temple to operatic art, a place created exclusively for the upper tens. Upper tens, a phrase coined in 1844 that refers to the 10,000 wealthiest residents of New York City. According to the American author, poet, and editor Nathaniel Parker Willis, 1806 to 1867, the Astor Place Opera House was intended to be, quote, a substitute for a general drawing room, a refined attraction which the ill-mannered would not be likely to frequent, and around which the higher classes might gather for the easier interchange of courtesies and for that closer view which aids the candidacy of acquaintance." Unquote. The physical comfort of its wealthy patrons took precedence in the theater's design. Instead of benches, the typical theatrical seating of the day, the Astor Place Opera House featured upholstered seats available, of course, only by subscription. A strict dress code was enforced, one that required, quote, freshly shaven faces, evening dress, and kid gloves, unquote. 500 general admission bench seats were available for the lower classes. They were located in what was called the cockloft above the boxes, which could be reached only via a narrow staircase. That staircase came off a separate entrance to the theater, thus sealing off entirely the hoi polloi above from the hoity-toity below. Here's something we should know. American theater audiences of the time treated the theater the way sports fans treat a field or arena today, as a gathering place for all classes, a place where people mingled and made their feelings known, not just towards the singers and actors on stage, but towards their fellow audience members and the various social classes and political persuasions they represented. The creators and proprietors of the Astor Place Opera House undoubtedly believed that by creating a safe theatrical haven for the upper crust, they could avoid the sort of mingling and confrontation and subsequent fights and even riots that were not uncommon in New York's theaters. <laughs> Boy, did they ever get that wrong. What with its dress code and separate entrances and upholstered seats for the rich, members of the working class and poor immigrants, many of whom lived less than half a mile to the south, 
in Five Points and the Bowery perceived the Astor Place Opera House as an affront to their dignity, a provocation to be dealt with. As it turned out, the Flashpoint was not an opera, but rather a production of Shakespeare's Macbeth. Not being able to sustain itself entirely on opera, the theater featured occasional stage plays as well. Background. English actors dominated the American stage during the first half of the 19th century. Nativist Americans and the Irish immigrants flooding into the United States as a result of the Great Famine, or Irish Potato Famine, which began in 1845, hated each other, but could nevertheless be counted on to agree on one thing. They hated the English even more. The two leading Shakespearean actors working at the time were the Philadelphia-born Edwin Forrest, 1806 to 1872, and the London-born William McReady, 1793 to 1873. Each of these actors toured extensively in the other's country. The personal rivalry between Forrest and McReady was vicious and legendary, and it was additionally incited by the press in both the United States and England. In New York, the Philadelphia-born Edwin Forrest was the hero of the working class, the gangs, and immigrants. The London-born William McReady was the darling of the Upper Tens. Forrest and McReady became nothing less than symbols for the growing rivalry between Great Britain and the United States. I find it no small bit ironic that that rivalry played out in plays written by an Englishman, William Shakespeare. As luck would have it, on May 7, 1849, both Forrest and McReady were scheduled to play Macbeth in New York City. Forrest, at the huge 4,000-seat and long-gone Broadway theater at 326 to 330 Broadway between Pearl and Worth, and a few blocks away, McReady at the Astor Place Opera House. At McReady's performance at the Astor, hundreds of Forrest supporters bought seats in the cockloft, from which they rained down on the stage rotten eggs, fruit, and vegetables of various sorts, many in advanced states of decay, shoes, and what we are told were, quote, bottles of stinking liquid, unquote. Quote, the performers persisted in the face of hissing, groans, and cries of shame, shame, and down with the codfish aristocracy. They, the performers, were forced to perform in pantomime, as they could not make themselves heard over the crowd." Unquote. At the same time, a few blocks away at the Broadway theater, the audience stood and roared their approval when Forrest uttered Macbeth's line, quote, What rhubarb, senna, or what purgative drug will scour these English hens? Unquote. Following that disastrous performance at the Astor, a disgusted William McReady announced the cancellation of all future American performances and declared that he was returning to England forthwith and with forth. But he was convinced to stay by a petition signed by 47 prominent New Yorkers, including Herman Melville 
and Washington Irving, which assured McReady that, quote, the good sense and respect for order prevailing in this community will sustain you on the subsequent nights of your performance, unquote. Persuaded that all would be well, McCready mounted the stage on May 10th, once again to perform Macbeth. Precautions were taken. 150 policemen filled the Astor Place Opera House, while another 100 ringed the theater. In support of the police, New York's newly elected Whig mayor, Caleb S. Woodhull, called out the militia. Commanded by General Charles Sanford, a total of 350 men from the state's 7th Regiment, including mounted troops, hussars, and light artillery, mustered just to the west at Washington Military Parade Ground, where today is Washington Square Park. And then politics raised its ugly head. Wanting to embarrass the newly elected Whig mayor, operatives for the New York political organization called Tammany Hall published and distributed a broadsheet that incited a riot. By the time the curtain went up at 7.30 p.m., some 10,000 people had surrounded the Astor Place Opera House. It was showered with stones. Someone unsuccessfully attempted to set it on fire, and running battles between the police and rioters filled the streets. The New York Tribune later reported, quote, As one window after another cracked, the pieces of bricks and paving stones rattled in on the terraces and lobbies. The confusion increased till the opera house resembled a fortress besieged by an invading army rather than a place meant for the peaceful amusement of civilized community." Unquote. The besieged and terrified audience heard what was going on outside, though to his great credit, McReady finished the show, again in pantomime, before sneaking out of the theater in disguise. Believing they were about to lose the city, the authorities called in the waiting militia at 9.15. Attempting to restore order, they were pelted by stones and debris. 141 of the 350 members of the militia were injured. Well, that was enough. The remaining militiamen lined up, demanded that the crowd disperse, a demand unheard in the din, fired initially into the air and then point-blank into the crowd. When the smoke cleared, between 22 and 31 rioters were dead, and some 48, although almost certainly many more, were counted as having been wounded. 50 to 70 policemen had been injured, and as previously noted, 141 members of the militia were injured as well. It was to its time the single most devastating confrontation between rioters and authorities in American history. There were other casualties that night as well. The career of the Philadelphia-born Edwin Forrest was badly damaged, and he was never welcomed back to England. Class alienation and segregation in New York City, and indeed in America in general, became increasingly problematic because of the riot. Finally, the Astor Place Opera House could not live down its reputation as Massacre Opera House 
at Disaster Place. The 1850 opera season began but was then canceled, and the theater closed its doors for good after just three years of existence. The building's interior was stripped, and the shell was sold for $140,000 to the New York Mercantile Library, which named it Clinton Hall. In 1890, it was raised, and an 11-story building, also called Clinton Hall, was erected in its place. That building, since 1995 filled with condos, stands there to this day. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.